Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. Welcome everyone to the next episode of The Art of Social Media. Today we have with us Michael Brito. Michael is a digital strategist, a published author, a TEDx speaker, as well as an adjunct professor with over 20 years of experience helping organizations market on social media with great storytelling and great analytics. Currently Michael is the head of global analytics at uh, Zeno Group. Zeno is an integrated communication agency which takes equal strides on data driven decision making. creativity and constantly thinking of innovative ways michael i'd love to know more about zeno group michael you also authored three books the latest being participation marketing which talks about employees and how they can become brand storytellers and which is pretty exciting as well right i'm always looking to see how we can include our own employees at social pilot into kind of you know telling their genuine stories authentic stories so i would love to kind of learn more about that as well michael thank you so much for joining us uh, it's it's exciting to Happy on the show, and I'm ready to kind of you know learn all your secrets of marketing. Great to meet you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to uh, talk about my experience, uh, the books that I've written, my thoughts on the metaverse, and the future of social media. So thank you so much for having me. Wonderful, Michael. I'm a big fan of Marvel, and you know, for each Marvel character, right, there's an origin story. It it shows you how the character is forged and how that person kind of comes into picture. What's your origin story, Michael? <laughs> we only have an hour right for this for this podcast so I'll have to go quickly. I think um you know it started out growing up uh with in a single family single raised by a single mother uh who had a very difficult task of raising a young man who uh, didn't really have any goals and didn't really have any quite honestly respect for anybody or everybody. So she did an amazing job. She deserves an award for the what she dealt with and for you know being successful at um raising me to kind of be where I am today you know she uh right out of high school I joined the military and it was one of those situations where I kind of had to I was in a living in an environment where I didn't if I would have stayed I probably would have ended up in a completely different path and so I I joined the military and I spent 4 years on active duty traveling the world and uh learning how to be accountable for the decisions that I've made and of course learning different skills Uh, related to being in the in the US military. And so I kind of had a late start to college. I didn't start until I got back. And uh the good news is is that the military paid for school. So I had put myself through undergrad and eventually grad school uh, to learn uh marketing. And uh but I wanted to be actually a police officer, you know, out of the military. So I, you know, I went I started taking classes related to criminal justice and uh, then I met my wife and my wife said, "You know, I really don't know if you if I want you to be a police officer." you know it's a, it's a lot of late night hours it's dangerous and you know they don't really make much money anyway so you know i kind of transitioned and went into marketing and this was before social media was a thing and from there you know it kind of just as as social media had become more prevalent and as new technologies were arising i started my first twitter my twitter account in 2007 when twitter first launched and i'm i'm still very active on the on the platform it's my favorite platform and from there it's just as new technologies and new social networks have come to really allowing consumers and brands to to innovate and think about different ways to connect with consumers i've certainly adopted new technologies and and now as a marketer i'm i'm trying to figure out ways to reach consumers and i'm um, using data to help understand different behaviors 
so that my clients can, you know, authentically market their products and services to to the you know Gen Z and millennials and Gen Xs like Gen Xers like myself using these new platforms. Wonderful. So it seems to me that you've been one of these OG social media marketers. You started Twitter in 2007. How has social media changed in last 15 years? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Back in the early days, there was no advertising, right? It was all just community. And uh, Twitter was there were there were no ads on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok wasn't around. Reddit was around, and there were no ads there either. And it was really a sense of community where people would talk about great things. You know, the marketing and advertising community on Twitter is still thriving today. And so when discussions from these platforms, well, as Facebook started rolling out ads early on, there was a huge uproar from the community saying, how could you do this? And I don't think they really understood that, you know, there's only a certain amount of time that a business can not make money before the investors start asking questions. And so, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn did a really good job early on to really build build community and make the product sticky for, for consumers. And then they started introducing ads. And so, you know, what used to be a community platform has then turned into a media platform. And that's what it is today. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, you know, Instagram are now media platforms for brands to reach consumers and, and provide programs and hire influencers to participate in these programs. But I don't, I think that there's some platforms that have tried to continue with the community feel. If you think about, you know, uh, you know, Twitter launching communities and Twitter spaces, those are very much community centric. Uh, TikTok, I think they're still, again, it's, it's a media platform. I think they're still figuring it out. LinkedIn has launched, you know, certain things for creators and in terms of different communities and different services and, and features for them to, to really build their own community. So it's kind of in a weird place right now, right? It went from 100% community to media and advertising and ads to now it's still media and ads, but now I think the platforms are trying to figure out how do we now integrate the idea of being a place for communities to connect around specific topics and affinities. Um, and that's what they're what I think they're trying to do today. Right. And one of the platforms that does this community very well is Reddit, right? So although Reddit has ads, but the feeling of community is so strong there, right? And the subreddits become like cult, like the stocks subreddit, right? Where they kind of, you know, took on the the gaming stock and stuff like that, right? How do we how do brands kind of leverage these communities? How do they create this cult like communities and you know great get great brand following? Is there a formula for that? Yeah, I think, well, brands, first of all, have to have a, a good product, you know, a good product or service and, you know, one that meets the, the unmet need of the consumer. And, you know, I think if they have that, then I think it's easy to build a community of advocates and, and people who, uh, and not every brand can do that successfully, right? Apple is one that has done that, and um, but they have the best products on earth. So I think that for brands today, they, they may not necessarily have the affinity to create community, but they can participate in existing communities, right? And I think that's where employees come into play as a potential opportunity. But I know a lot of, a lot of brands on the technology side are, have built uh, customer communities where, you know, these are hosted communities on the site and they kind of enable their users to talk about technology and solve problems and um, it's really a great place. I think consumer brands 
like Nike and Peloton have also done the same where they built running communities. So, so Nike has an app for runners and athletes. Peloton is their entire business model is built around community and their instructors are, I don't know if they're actually employees or subcontractors, but they're paid and they are active participants within these communities and people love, love them. So I think that, you know, it starts with having a good product and then, and then, you know, building an ecosystem, an app or an online community or something that provides value to users so that there's a stickiness and there's a, a reason to want to come back and participate. Right. And very tightly pointed, right? Apple, hands down, great products, right? Uh, great fan following. So does Peloton and Nike, etc. But when we look at like smaller and medium brands, they have a difficult time creating communities because one, let's be honest, a lot of products are undifferentiated, right? The technology space is getting commoditized. A lot of manufacturing spaces are getting commoditized. So when a brand kind of comes in with a product that is like a copy of an existing product or there are like several other competitors in the, in the market, how can they kind of create or leverage communities? You know, I think for them, it's a community for them needs to be a mindset. And, uh, you know, so like, as I mentioned with Peloton and Nike, I mean, they have the revenue and the profits to invest in these ecosystems, these digital ecosystems, whereas the small and medium-sized company doesn't, right? Their marketing budget might just be $100,000 a year or, you know, $500,000, whatever it is. They don't have the, the capital to create a destination, if you will, for lack of a better term. So I think for them, they need to have this mindset of community. And that means that when they are thinking about participating in social media in different ways or launching campaigns, they need to lead with the concept of, we need to approach this as building a community versus launching an ad campaign. And I think if they do that, then they can create a community on a private Facebook group, as an example, right? It's not ideal, but it is an alternative, or maybe it's a public Facebook group or, or Facebook page. Facebook might not be the greatest example because, I mean, Facebook has become, it's declining in its popularity and, and usage amongst different audiences. So, you know, Twitter communities is a great example, right? You know, Twitter communities allows users to create communities around different topical areas that are resonant. And, you know, so, so brands can use existing platforms to, to build community, but it starts with the intent. What is their intent to do this? And a lot of, you know, and it could be a subreddit, right? But I think they, you know, brands need to be careful because we all know Reddit users are very vocal. And if you go into a Reddit community and try to market your products and services, they'll call you out and, and they'll make you feel really bad and like want to go home. So I think it's a mindset of, of community for, for them versus an actual destination. Right. And this is an interesting angle, right? Approaching social media from a community mindset versus just advertising mindset, right? Let's say, you know, there's a new brand of shoes, for example, or, you know, uh, protein powder, for example. How would that brand kind of, you know, leverage the mindset of community on existing social media uh, platforms? Uh, what could be like a, a decent way to kind of make an entry point? It's funny that you mentioned protein powder. I just bought this protein powder recently called Kava or Kava. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And it was through an ad. And it was, it was an ad that showed up on Instagram. And I, and I purchased two bags of different, different flavors, chocolate and vanilla. And it's really good. It's, you know, I don't think it's any different than a lot of others. So, but I just wanted to try something new and it targeted me and I, and I purchased. I think that, that brands need to really use data to understand what those unmet needs are. 
And I think that, you know, within doing so and analyzing different, you know, using either text analysis or social listening to really, again, identify an audience and really figure out what those unmet needs are through text analysis. Um, And then being able to align that with product messaging or campaign messaging, that's how you, excuse me, that's how you break through. Because it's like with any relationship, I relate to people when we speak a common language. And I don't mean English, Spanish, or, you know, Vietnamese. I mean, a common set of values and words and belief, a belief system. And a lot of that, that data is available on, you know, when you are, are doing it the right way, you can extract that data and use that to inform how it is you market your products and services. So I think that is how some of these companies can do that is mining social media conversations and using that to help understand what the consumer intent is or what the unmet need is, and then realign your messaging around those areas. Right. So this sounds like the role of analytics in like a proactive strategy making aspect, right? A lot of times analytics is used, you know, after the fact. So we did this campaign and this was the, you know, output and we kind of got the CPA and we got these number of leads, leads, et cetera, right? But I think what you're trying to point out is there's a better way to use analytics and that could be in creating strategies as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you brought that up because that's kind of how I view analytics in general, right? There's after the fact, which is reporting and, and optimization. So looking at the performance of a, of a paid campaign and optimizing your ad spend or your creative or your targeting and then relaunching, that is still important, right? So I think that is always going to be important. I think there's, you know, what I re- was referring to is as additive to, to that. So it's it's research and analytics versus reporting and measurement. And so, and I think that all, all brands have, you know, it does require expertise and technology to do that. So it's not like easy, but it's informative and it's insightful. And it's, uh, you know, the insights from an analysis in the upfront can determine the impact and results after the fact. So, so yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, but it's, I don't think it's better or worse. It's just a, an additional insights into creative campaign planning. Right. And yeah, I see it too as like an additional aspect of analytics, looking at more data to kind of create meaningful campaigns. So that's wonderful, right? So text-based analysis, and then looking at social media conversations to understand unfulfilled needs, or maybe using some of the voice of customer uh, keywords and the lingo in your campaign. That sounds like an exciting idea. What else are, you know, what are the other analytics areas which are often not looked over by like, you know, brands, uh, which are often ignored, but that could be like a goldmine. Are there some in- interesting areas in social media analytics? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you think, just think about the data sources, most analytics are pulling from blogs and news and and Twitter data, you can now start pulling data, data from TikTok and Instagram as well. And I think those are all great platforms. And I think a lot of companies like to aggregate all that data and look at the insights. And from my standpoint, I think it's, you know, and there's a term that I call, you know, multi-segment social listening, basically meaning looking at these different channels individually. So looking at a Reddit, as an example, as your data source, to understand the conversations and the the topics and the narratives around different brands or issues and, and verticals or industries, 
you'd be amazed at how different it is when you isolate these different channels. Uh, the conversation around the metaverse on Instagram is is very much different than the conversation on about the metaverse um, on TikTok. It's it's very different versus Reddit. So I think that really thinking about isolation of the data source and then and that analyzing kind of you know I think because to me that you'll find additional white space by doing so, and then that would inform a potential you know ad buy on Reddit. If you work in the NFTs or crypto or just the meta, you're, you're building these metaverses, you know, understanding the conversation on Reddit and then using that to inform your advertising in Reddit, maybe an, an AMA with an executive in Reddit and inform some of the Q&A around what the top trends are within that platform to me is like as a goldmine. But when doing that, it requires more work, right? You can't just pull all the data and you know, realize what the insights are, you have to look individually. So again, it takes more time. And then also, I think looking at the news media. So, you know, the news media and what they're publishing on Fortune and Forbes and VentureBeat and The Verge and Adweek and all these others, that that is just a goldmine of data around, you know, what the media, what journalists are writing about. And if you believe that the media is the source of truth for the industry, you can use that same data to inform, as I mentioned earlier, to inform some of those, those narratives or themes that could spark a campaign. You can also look at which media publications are driving the biggest impact related to these topic areas. So for example, if uh, the metaverse is important to me or 5G or artificial intelligence, I can see and, and do an analysis of the media to say, okay, these are the top 20 media publications that are writing about AI. And this is the impact that they're making through engagement on social media with those articles, through the reach of those publications as it relates to their unique monthly visitors, and begin to use that data to inform how a PR person might prioritize who they're gonna pitch. Do we pitch you know, VentureBeat or do we pitch Gizmodo? So I think there's a there's a, I don't think that a lot of marketers or PR folks are using that type of data. And it's a it's so insightful to do that. So to put it simply, it's like you listen to your prospective consumers and kind of create a pitch that resonates with them. Similarly, for a PR company, the reporters are the consumers. So you create a pitch after listening to their or reading through or mining through their previous articles and kind of creating a pitch which resonates with them. Seems like a no-brainer when you put it that way, but yeah, strange to hear that not a lot of PR companies are utilizing such insights. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I only I have a very limited view as to the world around me, but I don't know if they're using it to the extent um, as um, as and to see you know in terms of like what's available. Sure. According to you, what brands are using data and analytics in a innovative way to kind of win create winning marketing strategies? Any brand that you can kind of think of top of your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that w- one brand that comes to mind is Hulu. They're not a client of mine at all, but I, I read an article recently about how they're using social listening to inform programming within the app. So that is certainly one. I think a lot of B2B companies are using analytics to determine influencers and, and find influencers. I think consumer brands are also doing the same. I don't have the, those companies off the top of my head. Other than Hulu, I can take a minute to think about it. But I think Hulu is a great example of using of a company's using data to really think about 
innovating their products. Interesting. If there are any links or case studies, do let me know. I can put it in footnotes in the podcast, so that'll be helpful. You mentioned about influencer marketing. Uh, what's influencer marketing? I hear multiple definitions, and then you know people are all over about influencer marketing. In your opinion, you know what's influencer marketing and what's working right now? That's a great question. I think that I mean influencer marketing is is paying influencers to participate in some type of campaign. And you know, a lot of consumer brands are using TikTok to and in, and Instagram to to do that, and that's great because there's value in 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 that in hiring influencers. And you know, I think that you have to hire the right influencers, right? Um, but I think influencer marketing is nothing new. I mean, there's been it's been around for quite some time. If you think about the early days of infomercials and how certain actors would be using a workout you know, weights and, and talking about it and, and people can order um, certain products, you know, now, now that's, that's TV and it's a different medium. But I think that, you know, leveraging third-party individuals to and activating them behind a campaign is, is not new. Uh, I do know that the consumer brands do get a lot of attention, you know, because of TikTok and Instagram and even Snapchat and influencers who are specific to these channels. I think on the technology and B2B side, they're doing the same thing. A lot of technology companies are investing millions of dollars in influencer marketing. They just don't get the level of, of attention from the media uh, around it. And I think they're doing it in a different way. They're using um, a lot of the influencer data, very similar to what I just talked about with the media. You know, They're using influencers and they're researching influencers and researching their trends. In other words, if it's a group of cybersecurity influencers, and there, there are lots of them, they may not know they're influencers. And I think that's one of the biggest differences is, is that B2B and technology influencers aren't professional influencers. Whereas consumer influencers, you know, these are people who want to be influencers, who are trying to be influencers, and they're making a lot of money being influencers. Whereas on the technology side, these are just people who are very influential on th- and, and are, are thought leaders in the space. And so brands understand that on the B2B side, and they're using that to, to the research that I just mentioned. It's analyzing their behaviors and conversations and using that to inform messaging and campaigns in order to get on the radar of these influencers. And they're also hiring influencers as well. So there, there are paying influencers to participate. It's just a little bit of a different model. But influencer marketing is not going away. It's In fact, I read a report recently that says that you know it's going to be whatever, however many billion dollars it'll be this year, it's going to be three, four, five times that in the, in the next three years. So marketers understand the value of influencer marketing and they're learning how to, how to do it better every year. Right. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening. <laughs>